Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session two, the pedigree and perfection of the scriptures. Beholding its amazing architecture. So... What we're going to begin to do in our messages here in the flow is we're going to begin to move into the 10 proofs. And because up to this point, all we've done is laid a foundation for what we are describing. We're describing the fact that God's word has been built by God. And yet we want to begin to establish reasons why we, we hold so strongly and so confidently to the fact that this is actually orchestrated, architected by God Almighty. So we're going to go through a review of our first two key points and add one. In the first session, we had truth one, which is God's word is, in fact and in truth, God's word. We also had truth number two. Jesus is God and is, in fact and in truth, God's word made flesh. Now, truth three. The construction of the Bible is supernatural. Hudson asked me this morning, he goes, what's supernatural? Well, that means that which is built by God. It is not explainable in any other way. It is not something that could ever happen down here without divine intervention, without God intervention. The 10 simple proofs. Now, maybe I am, uh, I don't know if it would be called an exaggeration by saying even a child could understand these things. However, I am a firm believer that children have a clearer instinct and understanding of the things we're talking about than most of us as adults. We get barnacles in our thinking. We get funny things going on that cause us to put doubt in arenas where a child just doesn't have them. And so a child can accept the Bible as divine, but the most learned men of this earth reject it. Isn't that just a strange uh, reality in which we live, that the higher the IQ you have and the more developed your education, the more likely you are to steer away from God? Now, that's not necessarily as true as it may sound up front, because some of the most intelligent men and women that have ever walked the earth were Bible believers. However, what we see in our day is that we esteem the intellectual, and the intellectual in our day, or the ones deemed the intellectual in our day, are usually the ones that I hold the least amount of respect for. I do not consider them truly intelligent, because their intelligence goes against the word of God, which is the framework of reality. So I would say that would be at the heights of stupidity. If anything, if you want my opinion on it, which I know you didn't ask for. <clears throat> John 1. In him, which is Jesus, the Logos, was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So God comes to this earth, to these learned ones, and he reveals light. Light is always a symbol of knowledge and understanding. So he reveals this knowledge and understanding, but they don't comprehend it. What's wrong with these people? He was in the world, and the world was made by him. The very creator of the heavens and the earth has come. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own 
received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So, there are some that received him. Now we know in other passages who those are that received him. Who are they? They're the children. They're the childlike. And so what do the childlike become when they believe? They become sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And in Mark 10, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. So these simple 10 proofs are actually for the children in here. And the rest of us as adults should listen in. And we should ask God to return us to that childlike simplicity of trust, which just says, God said it. I believe it. God built this book. I believe it. Is this book lacking intellectual credentials? A very common statement today is to undermine the credibility, the intellectual quotient of the Bible. Oh, it's scientifically inaccurate. It has all sorts of uh, faux pas or contradictions in it. These are not people that actually study the Bible. These are people that have borrowed their uh, little accusations against the Bible from someone else. In other words, you study the Bible, it'll refute every idiot out there. But most people are a little intimidated to actually study it for themselves, so they borrow their accusations. So is this book lacking in intellectual credentials? Quite the opposite. The greatest minds in history, for instance, Newton, Copernicus, Galileo, Pascal, Faraday, the greatest inventors, i.e. Pasteur, Carver, Fleming, Calvin, Gutenberg, the greatest intellects, Bacon, Descartes, Mendel, Planck, Kepler, the greatest composers, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, Handel, Hayden, and the greatest world leaders, Wallace, Washington, Lincoln, Churchill, believed it to be, in truth, God's word. Well, that's quite a list, and the list is a lot bigger than that. This is not something that just some idiots of our day are, you know, harebrained enough to actually say, no, I believe it is God's word. Throughout the ages, the greatest men, leaders, inventors, composers have all believed it was God's word. Ten simple proofs. Proof number one. It is supernaturally built. There is no way to describe how this Bible has come together. It was not written in one sitting, by the way which would be one long sitting. It was written over 1,400 years by over 40 authors. And so let's just walk through this. I'll let it speak for itself. Sir Walter Scott, the great Scottish novelist and poet, said, The most learned, acute, and diligent student cannot in the longest life obtain an entire knowledge of this one volume known as the Bible. The most deeply he works the mind, the richer and more abundant he finds the ore. New light continually beams from this source of heavenly knowledge to direct the conduct and illustrate the work of God and the ways of men. And he will at last leave the world confessing that the more he studied the scriptures, the fuller conviction he had of his own ignorance and of their inestimable value. When you study scriptures, one thing that happens is you begin to realize how incredible they are. The proof of scriptures is in the studying of scriptures. The closer you get to them, the more you realize their divinity. There are layers in scripture. It's very hard to explain how profound this book is without teaching it. But when you just read a scripture, you can read it at level one. It's sort of like walking over the ground and seeing a gold nugget. And you pick it up. It's like, there's gold here. Yeah. Dig a foot down. And what you're going to find, there's more gold down there. But guess what? You dig two feet down, what do you find? More gold. 
You see, there's layers to scripture. Same scripture, more gold. It's impossible for a man to write it. It's impossible for a man to literally at level 100 still have truth that resonates and is in perfect concordance with every other scripture in the entirety of the 66 books. How could you possibly do that? The Bible's pedigree is astounding. Written over a 1,400-year span, over 40 generations. Written by over 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars, etc., who were its writers? Here's only a mere sampling. Moses, a political leader, trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter, a fisherman. Amos, a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Nehemiah, a cupbearer. Daniel, a prime minister. Luke, a doctor. Solomon, a king. Matthew, a tax collector. Paul, a rabbi. Where was it written? Again, only a mere sampling. Moses in the wilderness. Jeremiah in a dungeon. Daniel on a hillside and in a palace. Paul inside, a prison, inside prison walls. Luke while traveling. John on the Isle of Patmos. Others in the rigors of a military campaign. An anthology is a collection of a singular man who collects data or literature or books or, or any type of research and compiles it. And that would be an anthology, which would classically be understood as a work of man, a work of man's genius. And you could say, what a genius, whoever put the Bible together. Well, it wasn't a man. You see, the Bible was not just compiled by good men, by Jewish men. The Bible was compiled by God. I know that sounds strange, but it's true. Any part of the human body can only be properly explained in reference to the whole body. And any part of the Bible can only be properly explained in reference to the whole Bible. The Bible at first sight appears to be a collection of literature, mainly Jewish. If we inquire into the circumstances under which the various biblical documents were written, we find that they were written at intervals over a space of nearly 1,400 years. The writers wrote in various lands, from Italy to the west to Mesopotamia and possibly Persia in the east. The writers themselves were a heterogeneous number of people, not only separated from each other by hundreds of years and hundreds of miles, but belonging to the most diverse walks of life. In their ranks, we have kings, herdsmen, soldiers, legislators, fishermen, statesmen, courtiers, priests, and prophets, a tent-making rabbi, and a Gentile physician, not to speak of others of whom we know nothing apart from the writings they have left us. The writings themselves belong to a great variety of literary types. They include history, law, civil, criminal, ethical, ritual, sanitary, religious poetry, didactic treatises, lyric poetry, parable and allegory, biography, personal correspondence, personal memoirs and diaries, in addition to the distinctly biblical types of prophecy and apocalyptic. For all that, listen to this, the Bible is not simply an anthology. There is a unity which binds the whole together. An anthology is compiled by, compiled by an anthologist, but no anthologist compiled the Bible. How do you coordinate all these writers over 40 generations to speak the exact same thing? To be in perfect harmony one with the other of things that haven't even happened yet. And then all prove true. How could anyone explain this? You can't. Well, there's one explanation. And that is it's divine. Which is, of course, what it itself declares. It's 66 books all saying the same thing. I don't know if you've ever coordinated with 40 people over 1,400 years and tried to put a book together. But it's not going to be that easy. Could you imagine you leave a note and you're like, could you write a book? You know, make it an apocalyptic book. I think God will, will visit you and will give you a vision. How in the world are you supposed to pass this on and compile this extraordinary declaration of a singular man who walked the earth.
How do you tell that his hands and his feet will be pierced? How can you declare that they will part his garments? He's hanging on a tree. It is Romans that are doing it. They don't even know the scriptures. You tell me how. It's impossible. Except if it's divine. Proof number two. It performs what it promises. It's a simple proof. The Bible says it. So if it doesn't happen, well, guess what? You don't have to believe this book. But what happens when what it says comes to pass? What do you do then? Well, you have to take a second glance, don't you? Well, how about if every single thing it has ever said has come to pass? Then what do you do? Approximately 2,500 prophecies appear in the Bible. Roughly 2,000 of which already have been fulfilled to the letter. That means specifically in actual detail with no errors. Over 2,000? The remaining 500 point to the future and will still be certainly fulfilled. What are the odds of this? Now, let's imagine that we took just one of those 2,000 and gave it a 1 in 10 chance, which is, by, by the way, very gracious and generous, as if 1 in 10 chance that this incredible prophecy could actually happen exactly the way you say it's going to happen. So we just give it a 1 in 10 chance. For this book to present 2,000 future events and have them occur by chance and without error is statistically inconceivable. Conservatively, if you gave each event a lenient chance of 1 in 10, the odds of all that has transpired over these past thousands of years in proving the biblical prophecy accurate would be less than 1 in 10 to the 2,000th power. That is a 1 with 2,000 zeros written after it. You can call it impossible. That's the other description of a 1, or a one with 2,000 zeros after it. It can't, it can't happen, humanly speaking. And now, this is what Jesus says. And now I have told you before it come to pass. This is how the word of God works. Now I have told you before it comes to pass. Why? That when it comes to pass, you might believe. What do you think the Bible is? A whole bunch of times the word of God is saying, look, I'm telling you something before it comes to pass so that when it does, you will believe. You see, God is giving us this proof. He's giving us this evidence so that we would believe. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things, all the good logos, which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. This is the testimony of Yeshua. Not one thing has failed. Do you guys see it? He's parting. He's leaving. When Jesus was ascending, what do you think he could have said to the apostles? I can just imagine him quoting Joshua 23. Look, do you realize that every single thing that was said has been fulfilled? And he could say, in me. Do you see it? Now I'm going to be with the Father. And it's good that I go because he's going to send you forth the Holy Spirit. The one that scripted all those, all that 66. Well, at that time, 39. All of it. He will come and he will carry you forth and remind you of all my words. So one of the great things, and we love this at Ellerslie, is the Messiah test. Now, I don't have time to go through it, but it's amazing. The Old Testament declares a coming Messiah with great detail. For instance, he has to be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. Well, that's just one very specific thing. But you know that he had to be betrayed? You know that he had to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? And you know that, that those 30 pieces of silver had to be thrown down on the floor of the temple and used to buy a potter's field? And guess what? They were by his enemies. 
That is extraordinary. It's a great sense of humor that God has. Who's in control? It's God. So let's just look at the Messiah test. I'll just give you three examples. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You know that that was 750 years before Jesus Christ? This is how you will know. A virgin shall conceive a child and it will be God with you. Oh, wow. How about this one in Micah? These are famous ones. I'm not picking obscure ones. I'm picking the big ones. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The one who will be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth. In other words, where he's from? He's from of old and from everlasting. He has no beginning. And where is he going to come forth from? He's going to come from, forth from Bethlehem. And the Jewish rabbis knew it. They understood what this was. You know, that was 750 years before Jesus. I know it sounds rather ironic, that, but, but Micah and Isaiah lived at the same time. So God is giving. The word of God is speaking 750 years before the Christ to make something clear. For dogs have compassed me. This is written in Psalm 22 by David. A thousand years before the cross. Crucifixion was a Roman invention. For dogs have compassed me, which means surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Uh, a thousand years. And it was fulfilled to the detail at the cross. Uh, it's okay to say, wow. Cyrus the king. There's a whole bunch of these, but I just picked out two. Cyrus the king. What it says is the prophet Isaiah foretold that a conqueror named Cyrus would destroy seemingly impregnable Babylon and subdue Egypt along with most of the rest of the known world. This same man, said Isaiah, would decide to let the Jewish exiles in his territory go free without any payment of ransom. Isaiah made this prophecy 150 years before Cyrus was born. 180 years before Cyrus performed any of these feats, and he did eventually perform them all, and 80 years before the Jews were taken into exile. And it happened. And there was a man named Cyrus. His kingdom didn't yet even exist at the time of the prophecy. And there was, in fact, a man named Cyrus that performed all of it. Josiah the king. One unnamed prophet of God declares that a future king of Judah named Josiah would take the bones of all the occultic priests, priests of the high places, of Israel's king Jeroboam and burn them on Jeroboam's altar. Uh, <clears throat> there was a king and his name was Josiah and he did exactly as was said by that unnamed prophet. This event occurred approximately 300 years after it was foretold. You know, 300 years is a long time. In the Bible, it doesn't sound like a very long time, but that's like someone making a declaration back in the 1700s and us suddenly watching it happen today. That there will be a president in the United States of America. We're like, well, United States of America, what's that? There will be a president in the United States of America and his name will be huh, huh, and he will come to you know, rule in the year huh, huh, and he will do this. Wow. <laughs> Proof number three. God himself declares it to be a supernatural revelation. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Remember what the Holy Scriptures are? They are the Word of God encapsulated in words in text. 
which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So that's very, very important to us as Christians. We understand that all scripture is given by the carrying along of the Holy Spirit, the divine word spoken. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For the word of God, or the logos of God, is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So let's, just as, as far as a simple statement, God cannot lie. God himself is clarifying that this word is from him. All throughout the Bible, by the way. Just this point could be an entire message. All throughout the Bible, he declares, this is my word. He seals it, authoritatively marks it. You know what? If he says it's his word, I say we go along with it. It's God speaking. Who cannot lie? Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please, feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.